morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Forrest. I'm a member here at Redeemer. Um, today's scripture comes from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the, build, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. All right, you may be seated. Well, good morning again, uh, church family. I'm so glad to, that we get to be together. And just what a fun morning to celebrate so many things. Uh, celebrate our kids, celebrate um, this family growing through baptism. And so there's just a lot to be thankful for. And, and just God is so kind uh, to us. And so anyways, if you have your Bible and haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we are going to be in verses 4 through 10, as Forrest just read, and so thanks you so much, man. Um, but anyways, as we get started, and as you're turning the pages or flipping your phone, uh, whichever your preference is, I want you to think for a moment uh, about your background with church. Um, think about your background with ch as a church family. Uh, think about, you know, what was your experience growing up? Um, what, what, what things were you engaged in? And for some of you, church is a new thing. For some of you, this is, this is a new reality. This is something that's kind of uh, recently been a part of your life. And so I want you to think for a moment, what was it like? What was good? Um, what were some things that were important to you? What were some things that, um, that you drew a lot of life from? What were some things that you look back and like, ah, that was kind of weird? Um, um, for some of you, maybe you grew up going, you know, you were part of youth groups. You, went, you did all the activities, you went to camp. Um, you had hangouts, and if your youth pastor was really kind to you, he had a lock-in. Um, so I did a couple of those back in my day. Uh, yeah, not, not a fan. Uh, but, right, so, but think about, you know, a lot of times when you think about our experience with church, we think about the different activities we've been a part of. We think about maybe certain people that, that have had incredible uh, influence. Of, but I want you to think, think for a moment. Um, uh, for, so for, I know for me personally, so I grew up, um, my parents were raised Catholic, and I was Catholic until I was about five, and then we, uh, through God's kindness, um, just met, my mom met, a, met, a, met a, uh, another lady who invited us into a, a different church, and we just grew up going to a more non-denominational Bible church. Um, I grew up, had some amazing friends and leaders who I'm still friends with this, to this day in youth, um, but lots of different, just a lot of uh, really good experiences for myself. I would grow up pretty much when uh, the church was open, I would be there, the building. And so, but anyways, um, but, but I think it's so poor, it's so like 
important for us to think about these things because there's so many good things that I think that we think of. Or maybe for some of you, maybe not. Maybe for some of you, you have actually more pain. Maybe it's more just hurt. And maybe there's actually still some church hurt that you're wrestling with. And you even find yourself this morning, why am I even here? Regardless of where you are on the spectrum, it's such an important question for us to ask and consider, what is the purpose of this? It's so easy for us, and I'm including myself, and it's so easy for us to consider and think about that, that church is the rhythms and routines and the things and activities that we do, all important and good things, but forget what is the purpose of why we are here? What is, it, what is it that we are meant to do as the body of Christ? And I know we've said this before, but we know that the church isn't the building. Thank God for the building. We're, this is a great resource, but the church is the people. And so what is the purpose of us as a people, both as a local church, Redeemer St. Angel, and both as the universal church, Big C? And so we're going to be looking at Peter this morning. He's going to help us see what is it that God has called us to do as the people of God? What is it that we are meant to do? What is our overarching 30,000 foot view? What is it that we need to have our eyes on and aim towards? And so Peter, he is writing this letter uh, to a group of Christians who have been massively persecuted. They call them the dispersion churches, the churches that have been dispersed, meaning that because of persecution, they've just kind of scattered. And he's, t- he's, in- he's writing this letter to encourage them to fix their eyes on Jesus. As Ryan talked about last week, he talked about this, that their transformation at their ho- and their holiness wasn't about trying to muster up behavior and trying to be better, but rather their holiness depended upon their proximity to Jesus. Jesus was the reason why they are holy. And so if individually they were a, a holy people, then collectively as a church, they were a holy nation because of their proximity with Jesus. And so as we get into chapter 2, Peter begins to expand a little bit why it is, what it is that they exist for. What is it that God has called them to, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of, 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 of suffering. And what ultimately Peter is going to get at today is that he is going to help us see that we are a chosen people. The body of Christ is a chosen people who have been called out of darkness, been called out of sin, and into his marvelous light. So that, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Let me put it in a more condensed way. We are a chosen people designed to proclaim. We are a chosen people designed to proclaim. Let's look again, and that's what we're going to kind of flesh out this morning. Let's look again in verse 9 of chapter 2. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so what does it mean? So right at the beginning, he gives these identity statements. But the first one, he says that you are a chosen race. What does it mean that you are a chosen race, that we are a chosen race? And so I want to look at this phrase for just for a few moments, but I want to start with the word chosen. Oh, that's where I want to start off first. So we look in verse 9. He says, he, so, sorry, yeah. So we looked at, at verse 9. And at the end of it, it says that, he, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So him who called you out of darkness. Think about it this way as we think about us being chosen. How many of you guys grew up um, playing schoolyard basketball or football or some kind of team sport? And how many of you guys were the ones who got picked last? My hand's up because it's up. Right? Uh, no one else? 
You guys are supposed to be incredible athletes. Okay, thank you, Becky. Thank you. So typically, right, so if you were picked first for these teams, you were chosen because you had something to bring to the team. You were really athletic, you were fast, uh, you could throw a football really far, or I, I don't know what your abilities are, but you had something to bring to the table. If you were picked last, typically it was just like, uh, I guess we'll have this guy just like fill some space. He can like fill up the water on, on the sidelines or something. I don't know. But, but you, typically you were chosen because of what you could bring to the table. So when, when, when uh, Paul, Peter talks about us being called out of darkness into his marvelous light and that we are a chosen people, he's actually helping us see that this is not the way we are to look about our chosenness. The idea that we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light was not based on what we could bring to the table. It was not based upon that, hey, we were able to be moral enough, we behaved well enough, we did good enough, we said all the right things, we went to church a bunch. Jesus called us out of darkness, not based on what we did, but ultimately based on who he is, right? So we think about our chosenness. What does it mean that he's called us out of darkness? What is this darkness that Peter talks about that he's called us out of? Well, ultimately what he's referring to is that we have been, so because of our sin, because we're broken, because we were born with sin, we were born in a position separated from God. Sin is what we live for. The things of this world, trying to find life in creation rather than the creator, is what we set our eyes on, is what we live for. And so when this, what the reality is that this darkness that we're in is a life absence of Jesus. It's a life that is absent of who Jesus, of Jesus. And so as a result of that, because of our sinful nature, it separates us from God. It separates us from God. But God, because of his kindness, he sends, sends Jesus to the cross. As we just got to celebrate this morning, he sends Jesus to the cross. He died uh, the death that we deserved. And because of his sacrifice, when we put faith in him, all of a sudden, his perfectness, his righteousness that we need to be before God is given to us. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, right, when we put our hope in him, all of a sudden now that sin issue that separated us is no longer an issue. We're in his family. And so what it means that we are chosen isn't that we had anything to bring to the table, but God in his kindness, while we were dead in our sins, pulls us out, rescues us, and gives us this new status, gives us this new hope. And so when we talk about us being a chosen people, Everything, or sorry, just a chosen person called out of darkness into his marvelous light, into God's family. Everything about that hinges on Jesus. Everything about us being chosen, everything about us uh, putting our faith in Jesus and following him has hinges everything on Jesus and not what we could bring to the table. And so Paul even affirms, sorry, Peter even affirms this um, in verses six and seven. Really quick, look, let's look in verse six and seven. So much of what you might notice, and you're going to get tired of us saying this, but much of uh, Peter's letters are rooted in the Old Testament. And so he's actually drawing out prophecies in verses 6 and 7 from the prophet Isaiah. That Isaiah prophesied long before Jesus, told about Jesus' coming, and told about what Jesus would come to do, and his role in the church. So he says in verse 6 that, For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so what we see here is what Isaiah does is that he talks about Jesus being this cornerstone. He, he, he refers to Jesus as a cornerstone. And so for those who aren't familiar with what a cornerstone is, I had to Google it myself, so you're in good company. Um, a cornerstone is this stone that is, is absolutely pivotal to the structure uh, that, that is, is in place. And so it, everything hinges on this piece for stability, for strength, for a secure foundation. And so when he talks about Jesus being this cornerstone, he's essentially saying that Jesus being the cornerstone, everything hinges on him. So this idea that he says that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, or whoever believes in him will be reconciled back to God, it all hinges on Jesus. It all hinges on what he came to do. And Isaiah, long before, prophesied this. The Old Testament speaks to the coming of Jesus and what he would do. And so Jesus being the cornerstone means that everything, our, our being chosen, our uh, salvation, uh, us being reconciled to God, us putting our sin to death, all hinges on Jesus. It's not what we bring to the table. It's not what you could do. It's not you trying to behave. It's not you trying to live a moral life. Because news flashes, none of us can live a moral life that meets God's standards. But Jesus did. That's why it all hinges on him. And so we think about um, what Jesus has done we think about when Peter says that we, he, we are, are chosen, we are thinking about that he's called, he is the one who called us out of darkness. He is the one who called us out of our sin. And he was ultimately the one who did it. It all hinges on him. So then when we add the word people to it or a chosen race to it, like I said, this, this text isn't, talking, isn't necessarily talking about us individually. It's talking about us as the church, us as the body of Christ. And so what Peter is getting at when he says that we are a chosen race or a holy nation or a royal priesthood, what he is getting at is that we are chosen for a new community. We are chosen a chosen race for a new community. We are a chosen uh, people or the church. And so we are a group of people who have been brought, who have been saved, who have been called out of darkness, who have been called out of our sin and brought into his marvelous light. So that's what we have in common. Think about it for a moment, for a second. So even in this room, all of us in here have different backgrounds, uh, different preferences, different likes, different dislikes. Uh, all of us have a different story about how we even got to this moment, right? Think about it. All, think about it. Just look around. Look around. Look around at one another. I know it's awkward. Look at someone you don't know, too. Let's make it really awkward. No, but look around. Think about each person in this room represents a different story. Uh, it represents a different a person who's unique, who God wired and fashioned them in a way that's just particular to them. And, and, and so we could go on and on about what all the differences, all the things that can separate us. But when God said, when Peter says that we are a chosen race, despite all those things, despite all the things that could potentially, uh, man, I don't know if I, like, that guy likes the Cowboys. I don't really know if I can associate with him. Or, man, that person likes country music. I don't really know if I can associate with them. Uh, or whatever. Uh, amen, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm one of those people, by the way. So you can judge me. I don't care. Uh, but, but think about all the things that could potentially separate us because of this shared hope. Right? But we are, are a body. The body of Christ is not built upon our opinions and preferences, but rather it's built on this shared hope in Jesus. It's built on this shared hope that all of us have been once walking in sin, and Jesus called us out to walk in newness of life. It's the shared hope that we have in common. And ultimately, the shared hope points to the fact that Jesus is this cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the reason we gather. And so what makes us a people is not our shared preferences. And think about it to another level. You have more in common with the people in this room who have put their faith in Jesus than those who may share your similar sports allegiances, than those who share, may share your, your same political opinions, for those who may share your same preferences. You have more in common with these people in this room than those people uh, because of Jesus. If, if, and so that's the reality of, of what we're walking in. We have more in common with one another because of Jesus. And so how does, people, how does Peter then uh, describe us as a people? How do you describe us um, as, as, as the church? So if we're this, we're this chosen people who have this shared hope, um, what are we like? So you look in verse 5, and he says that he calls us a, a spiritual house. He says that you are being built into a, spe- into a spiritual house. And so again, Peter is using language that would, so the first Peter was written to a primarily Jewish Christian audience. And so when he says a spiritual house, a lot of times what that would have triggered in them was images of the temple. And so what the temple was uh, back in the Old Testament is it was where, where God dwelt, is, is where the spirit, is where it was considered where the presence of God was. And priests would be the ones who would offer sacrifices uh, a sacrifice of animals uh, on behalf of the people to, to atone for their sins. And so the spiritual house, it would give an imagery of this idea of the presence of God. It would give this idea of this presence of God. But now, uh, so what he's doing now, he's bringing it to this New Testament church, and he's saying, you actually now uh, are a spiritual house. When you guys gather together, you are a spiritual house. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God is in you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that he says that, that we are a temple. The church, the body of Christ, those who have the shared hope, we uh, are, are the temple um, in which the Holy Spirit dwells. Meaning, God's presence isn't restricted to a certain location or a temple, but rather his presence is in us and those who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because Paul also says in Romans that if, if that's us, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Spirit, the presence of God is with us. You see that? And so he calls us a spiritual house because ultimately, as Christians, as the body of Christ, God is in us and he's with us because of his Holy Spirit. And so the church is a place where God dwells. Um, because it's where his Holy, Spirit, his Holy Spirit being in his people are. And the sacrifices we offer aren't those of, of lambs and goats and things like that, but rather it's, this idea, it's the fruit that's produced within us by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. These are the things that are produced within us. These are the spiritual offerings that Peter talks about in verse 5. 
the things that are produced from us by the Spirit. And, and, and he really, in this text, you see so many different descriptors of how he describes us as a people. He, he also says that in addition to us being a spiritual house, which also we think it can, maybe can, can conjure images of a family, we think about the church as a family, that's often used in scripture. But he also says that, that we are a royal or a holy priesthood. We are a people, like we've been just talking about, who have the presence of God with us. He's in us because of the Spirit. We, he said, we, like we've also talked about, we are a chosen race. We are people who've been called out of darkness. We are a holy nation, uh, the church, big C, because um, we are a people who have been set apart uh, from the rest of the world. We are this, and because of our proximity with Jesus. He also says that we are a people of his own possession, of God's own possession. We belong to God. We are God's people. Think about that for a second. Just stop on that one. We collectively are God's people, creator of all things. And he sees Redeemer's angel. He sees you and I, and he sees, man, these are my people. And they aren't my people because they earned it, but because his son bought, bought for it. Let that sink in. That ought to do something to us. That ought to do something how we, how we think about ourselves, but also how we think about one another, Right? And, and this is the, really the point that this text is getting at. We are a chosen people that are designed to proclaim something. We are designed and meant to point the world to the excellencies of Jesus. And so our identities, our identity as a church, being a holy nation, a chosen people, a people who have received mercy, a people of God's own possession, we as a people are meant to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. That's our job. That's the role of the church. The role of the church is to ultimately point uh, people to Jesus. The church exists to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And, and what you and I are a part of, and, that, and that's, this is why I want us to try to get our mind around, what you and I are a part of, it, it, it goes beyond the rhythms and routines that we often associate with church. Good things, important things, necessary things. It, it, it actually gives a little bit more purpose to what we do because what we do is meant to proclaim something. Now, a good follow-up question is, who are we proclaiming to? Who are we proclaiming to? You notice in the text, in verse 9, he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Notice he doesn't say who you're proclaiming to. And I think Peter's intentionally, this is just me, what I think, but I think Peter's intentionally vague here. He doesn't necessarily say, he's not specific on who the audience of the, who, the, who is being proclaimed to. Because I think, of, you think about it for a second, when the church operates in such a way where the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is lifted up, who is going to benefit? Not just the world, but you and I as well. So, so it's not, I think what, G, what, what Peter is getting at here, when he talks about us as a body of Christ proclaiming the good news of Jesus, what he is getting at, it's not just something that we want to show the world this hope that we have, but we want to remind one another of this hope we have. There's this interconnectedness of, of this proclamation between a, a missional mindset. Yes, we want to live lives that point others to Jesus, but how often do we ourselves need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus? This is how the body is supposed to function together. So we're supposed to remind one another of this shared hope. 
Because how easy is it to forget, family? How easy is it to forget when the world just seems to be caving against you? How easy is it to forget when there's just suffering upon suffering upon suffering? How easy is it to forget when people continually just give you a hard time because you're not just living up to expectations? How easy is it for, to forget? Man, man when, when you, you, under, you just are around people who just, man, are suffering and going through miscarriages and are going through death. And how easy is it to forget? This is how, what is so important for us as a church family is that we are proclaimers, yes, to the world, but also to one another. And that's why I think Peter is intentionally vague here. He doesn't say who we're proclaiming to because it's actually supposed to be multi, multifaceted. It's, it's, it's a bunch of different people. And the question then becomes, okay then, how are we to proclaim? So if, if, if Peter is getting at that, that as, an, as a church family, we are to proclaim the good news to Jesus, to the world, and to one another, how then are we supposed to do it? What's the how? Hang with me for a moment. So look in verse 5. Um, he says that you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so when we see in verse 5, you see this phrase, um, we are being built up or are being built up. Really quick, how many of you in here played with Legos or still play with Legos? Yes. Okay. Hey, no judgment here. Legos are the best. So think about this for a second. Um, uh, when you are building whatever it is you're building, who is the one that's doing the building? It's not a trick question. You are, right? Now, how cool, it would be really cool if all of a sudden you see the Legos just start levitating and they're like building each other into whatever it is that you're trying to, like that would be cool. But really, it's you, right? You're the one who's putting things together. You are the one, the Legos are dependent upon you uh, to, to, to build whatever it is that you're building. Right? They, they, they don't build upon themselves. The Legos on themselves cannot like, just actually like, build this to this whatever it is you're building. So in the same way, when Peter talks about, calls us living stones that are being built up to, into a spiritual house, what he is actually getting at is that as the church of Christ, as this holy nation, we are a people that are completely dependent upon this cornerstone to grow us into a spiritual house. So we actually, how do we proclaim? We exercise and elevate our dependency on Jesus. That's how we become a church of people who are proclaiming, is that we realize our own need and then collectively together realize our own need and are dependent on Jesus. And so it's very intentional, this idea that we are being built up. The text is, the way that it's written, we aren't the ones building. We aren't the ones building, but rather it's God, the builder of this spiritual house is also the designer. He is the one who's building us up into a holy nation. He is the one who's building us up into um, a spiritual house. We are a people who are incredibly dependent upon Jesus. And that's how we proclaim. That's how we proclaim. We lift up our need. We lift up our dependency. We are dependent upon Jesus, one, to call us out of darkness, 
but we are also dependent upon Jesus to produce fruit in us, to produce the fruit of the Spirit that we can show towards one another. We are dependent upon Jesus um, to help us love one another. We are dependent upon Jesus to help us be kind and patient towards one another. True building and growth comes from our, our realizing our need. And, and here's the thing. When we, when, we, when we actually do this, when we actually, as a church family, realize our need, it's then we will actually adequately display the gospel to one another and to the world. Because one to one another is we're not going to necessarily heap burden on. Hey, if you want to, uh, if, if you want to, know Jesus or get Jesus more like, hey, you got to do this, this, this. You got to follow these rules. You got to do all these things. But rather, when we point to just the fact that Jesus is the one who produces fruit in us, then actually that's how we proclaim the gospel to one another. That actually lifts up Jesus and actually shows us the one who can actually help us. We actually will display the gospel to one another and to the world um, when we walk in dependency, when we walk in realizing our need. And so you think about this too. Um, it makes sense, because if, if, if we were the ones, if we couldn't call ourselves out of darkness, if we needed Jesus to bring us into his kingdom, then it would make sense that we, we need Jesus to continue to help us grow, to continue to help us become a spiritual house, to continue to grow as a church family. And, and the phrase as well, I'm, I'm a grammar nerd, so we're just, like, just going like to just really lean into this our being built phrase, um, but it's important. Uh, this I also, the other thing, when he says that are being built, what we also need to notice is that it's incomplete. This, the spiritual house that God is building, it's a present reality. Why is it a present reality? A couple of reasons. One, it's a present reality, as we just got to celebrate this morning. God is still saving people. God is bringing people into the family. God is pulling people out of darkness still. And so as he's pulling people out of darkness, more people are getting to be and part of us, this family, this spiritual house is building. But the spiritual house is also, is, just, is also not complete yet because we still aren't fully with Jesus yet. So we need his spirit to continue to help us and help, help us grow to look more like him, son, his son. And we need his spirit to help us to help one another walk in that as well. And so it's this idea that this, uh, the church, uh, the body of Christ, we are a spiritual house, and as a spiritual house, we are dependent upon Jesus. And ultimately, until Jesus comes back, we are still being built. And so this is why this should elevate the need. This should elevate why we are so dependent upon Jesus. And ultimately, our walking independency is how we proclaim. Because ultimately, we're pointing or one another and the world to the one who can actually help us. And this is why even here, like our hope for us at Redeemer is that when you leave here on a Sunday morning or an activity, we, I don't, we, I, the last thing I want, and I know Ryan wants as well, the last thing that we want for you guys is to walk away and be like, oh man, that preaching was good. Or man, man that guy didn't, he didn't really hit it today. Um, or man, that music was great. Or, oh, man, the kids really had a good time. Or they have these good programs. Or these, like, or, like, we, like not, I'm, those things are all important. But the reality is, all those things ultimately mean nothing apart from Jesus. We want you to walk away from a Sunday morning or for any time we gather together. 
And by gathering, not just in official church activity, but you in homes. When you're together, we want people to walk away and think, man, Jesus and Jesus is good. We want people to walk away helping, seeing their need for him more. Because ultimately, that's why we exist. We exist to proclaim. That's the role of the church. That's our job as the body of Christ is to lift up the name of Jesus, regardless of what it is that we're doing, and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. And so even as I think about this text, there's a lot of applications that we can think of. There's a lot of things that I then can give you. All right, go do do these things, um, and, and then you know, we'll, we'll do all the things that we talked about. Um, there's a lot of things that, that I think we could be said, but I, I want us to, to leave us with two challenges and an encouragement that are kind of specific for the moment that we're in um, at Redeemer. I, want, I wanted to give us something that's kind of specific to this moment that we are in as a church family. And first off, I'm just going to say as your pastor, uh, both Ryan and I, um, as we shepherd and lead, as best as we can are trying to follow Jesus, which hopefully comes to you as a duh. Right? I hope you'd want your pastors to, to, to want to follow Jesus and try to, try to be led by him. I hope that's a duh. Um, but the reality is that's hard. Because what that does, that, that, helps, that, that makes us more aware of the fact that we're not the ones in control. And that makes me a bit uncomfortable. That makes me feel a little bit uneasy. But what it also does, it, it, when we are dependent, it elevates Jesus in us. And in time, as we look back time and time again, we've seen his faithfulness, we've seen his goodness, we've seen his kindness. And so what that has done for us is like, okay, Jesus, we're going to trust you. Even though we might only be able to see just slightly in front of us, we're going to trust you. I'm going to tell you right now, that's scary. But, but the moment we're in as a church family as well, um, I think it's so important that we, that we lean into this dependency. We lean in because ultimately what that's going to help us do is lean into Jesus. And so, so, so two challenges and an encouragement. First challenge is, as we are a growing spiritual family, as we are a spiritual household that's continuing to be built, um, man, look, I, want us, I do want us to look inward for a second. Look, look inward. Man, do you realize your own need for Jesus? Does you, is your life reflective of a, of, a, of a person who sees their need for their Savior? And it's really easy for us and I'm speaking for myself as well, to ha- almost create this secular, sacred divide in our life. That some spots of my life are reserved for me following Jesus, and other spots are reserved, and he doesn't really need to be a part of that. I would contend that there is no such thing as, the, uh, as a secular, sacred divide as a Christian. Your job is sacred. Your work, your family, your, your hobbies, these things are sacred because Ultimately, in all those spaces, the Spirit of God is still in you. He has something in that moment maybe for you to, to walk in. And so, so, so we need to see, do, you, do we see our need for Jesus in all of life, not just in certain parts? Do we see our, our need for Jesus? And so that, that, that's the question I want us to wrestle with. The challenge is, do you? Individually, look at that. Do you? And the second one I want us to think about as well, as a church family, so as we evaluate our own needs, as we think about where we are in this moment, as we think about our own dependency on Jesus, I also want us to encourage, because again, we are being built 
Um, this is a together thing. And so the question that needs to be asked is, then, is there space in your life for people here? Is there, is there space in your life uh, for the other people at this church to get to know their story a little bit more, to step into their world, to try to understand their background? Is there someone here you need to reconcile with? Is there somebody here that you want to learn more about? Because the, the, I feel it, you may feel it, uh, but the moment that we're in as a church family, we're still like, I, I mean, I, I think some of you guys, most of you guys know, but some don't, we're really kind of three groups of people coming together and learning to be a family. We're, 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 you know, there's some of us who are from the Journey Bible Church. There's some of y'all who are from our core team. And then there's a whole lot of y'all who just weren't from either. You don't even know what I just said. Right? But, but that, that, that emphasizes the point that all of us in this room are coming from different experiences and backgrounds. Things that could potentially divide. Things that could potentially be like, eh, I'm going to keep my arms away. Uh, that, that, those people make me uncomfortable. Or those people, ah, I don't know. Um, they like country music. They're weird. Um, is there space? Is there space for us is to step into our worlds a little bit more? Is there space for these conversations? Is there space in your life for this? Have you been intentionally been closed off to certain people? And so the challenge is, man, what might the Lord be stirring you in this moment? What might it look like for you to step into the space of others? And so the encouragement is, though, so the encouragement is what we do know and what is being promised here in First Peter is that Jesus is building his church. He is building our, our church family. He is uh, helping us. He is building a spiritual house that ultimately is going to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And let's be honest, his building is hard, but ultimately it is for our good. It is for our good. And so here's what we can lean in on. Here's, where, here's the promise, is that he is working in us. He is building it, uh, his church. He will continue to do so. And ultimately, our job in this as he's building is to, one, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Two, help one another fix our eyes on Jesus. That's our job. And when we do that, we proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. When we collectively fix our eyes on the one we need, when we collectively fix our eyes on our Savior, um, and we depend upon on him for our growth, we then are a people who display what Jesus has done for us. And when we take communion, that's what we get to also do. When we take communion, we're actually proclaiming to one another what's true about us. We're, we're, we're telling one another that I did not earn salvation. I did not earn presence with God. But Jesus, because he, he spilled his own blood, because he broke his body on the cross, and he accomplished it for us. We're together saying, ultimately, Jesus is the one who saved us. And again, the church is united on this shared hope. The church is united on this shared hope. I wish you guys can go ahead and come on up. But what we need to understand is as we take the Lord's Supper together, well, first off, if you aren't a believer in here, 
Um, we, we do just ask that you would refrain. The Lord's Supper is for those who believe in Jesus and who put their hope in him. And so if that's not you, that's okay. Like, we're glad that you're here this morning, but we would ask you to consider the person of Jesus. We would ask you to consider where is it you're trying to find life in right now? And so, but, but for those of us who are, uh, who are believers in Jesus, who have put our faith in Christ, during this, 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 this moment in which we're celebrating together, I would ask you to, one, definitely reflect inward. Definitely think about what Jesus has done for you. But I want you to think about the others around you as well. Even earlier, as you looked around at the, at the room and, and there's faces you didn't recognize, what does this mean for them? I want us to think about not just ourselves, but also the others in this room. And, and allow that to remind you that you guys are all, we're all united. We're all still growing to be a church family. And that, that person that, who, that you might not know actually has, like, the Redeemer will be better because they're here, because the Spirit of God is in them, that the body of Christ can benefit, that, that, that Jesus is, is using them to help build us into a spiritual house. And so as you take communion, think about the, the church. Think about our family here. And remind yourself that Jesus died for them too. And that you need them and that they need you. We are a chosen people designed to display the goodness of Jesus. He's invited us into this mission. He's invited us into this calling. And ultimately, we will adequately, perfectly display the gospel to one another and to the world when we together walk in dependency on Jesus. That's what it looks like to be built. We walk in dependency. And so God, would you help us do that? Would you help us see that we're a people of great need? Would you help us see that we're a people who need um, your son to save us and to pull us out of sin? But God, we are also, God, we need the body of Christ. Lord, we need one another. We need one another to remind us of what's true. We need one another, Lord, to um, help us remind us where our hope is. And so, God, would you just do that this morning? Would you help us? Would you help us be gracious to one another? Would you help us be patient? Or would you continue to help us enter into spaces in which we're um, reminded that we would have more in common with those in this room who may think about something differently than us, but we're united because of your son. So would you help us walk in that, Lord? Would you help us become a church that ultimately proclaims the excellencies of Jesus, not the excellencies of Redeemer, not the excellencies of, of, of this local body, but ultimately the excellencies of you, the one who can call people out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Would you help us, Lord? 